welcome, welcome to the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff. We're here with my co-host and brother, Kevin, and this is a special, special episode for him. Uh, we are going to be talking about Tottenham Hotspur, known as Spurs. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about everything you need to know about why you should support this club, or maybe why it's not the best fit for you. But I think this is a really interesting episode because I think Tottenham are a really unique team uh, that are not like kind of the rest of the so quote-unquote big teams in the Premier League. So I'm just going to turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about Tottenham, where they've kind of come from. Yeah, so last week we gave you the opportunity to talk about something that you love, and now I'm going to talk about something that I think I love. No, I do love them. Just, you know, sometimes it feels like they, they don't love me back, and, you know, that's okay. They Maybe definitely don't. So- sports, definitely soccer is a one-way relationship. that uh, is unrequited in almost every way. But if I just love them harder, you know, maybe maybe I'll be worthy of their, their love. Yeah, if you just care more, um, you can fix them. You can always fix them. It's uh you know, it's like a it's like a sitcom and we're the we're like the dumb idiot character that you just laugh at for fifteen seasons. Yeah, I think that's actually a great segue into what Spurs have kind of been in recent history. Uh, so you've probably heard us kind of talk uh, a few times calling them Spurs. And if you're a new fan, this may be a little bit confusing hearing Spurs, especially associated uh, in the States with the San Antonio Spurs, the basketball team. Uh, I lived in Texas for about a year, and you know, people would ask me about sports, and I'd say, oh, I like, really like Spurs. You know, In my mind, I'm always thinking of Tottenham, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I, love, yeah, I love San Antonio Spurs. I'd be like, uh, man, this is, uh, this is hard to, to kind of come from and change, so... Just know when you hear Spurs or Tottenham, that is what we are talking about, a Premier League team. And you'll, you'll see the full name is Tottenham Hotspur. Don't say it like that. It's just weird. It just doesn't sound right if you're saying, oh, yeah, I really like Tottenham Hotspur. Um, also, another thing that uh, I kind of give a lot of stick to some of my friends is it's never the Spurs or the Tottenham unless it's in a chant. That's like a, it's like the number one way to out yourself as having no idea. There's just like certain things you can say that just don't, they just don't sound right and it's not correct. It's, you know, a great scene of Inglorious Bastards, right? Where you're holding up your fingers incorrectly and you get shot in the basement. Uh, so just, this is our way of making sure that you don't get shot uh, and you get to fit in with the UK and sound like a real fan because I really do think it's a great fan base and a great team to kind of follow. And I think the rationale for why it's not the Spurs uh, is probably kind of close to why it's maths in the uk because uh, people are always like what do you mean that doesn't make sense spurs has an s at the end it should be plural the spurs doesn't make sense i think it's like uk english uh with you know they say maths instead of just math um, and if that's not a good explanation just trust it they invented the language over there yeah but i mean it is interesting because like times out is actually more grammatically correct than timeouts because timeout, I don't know, we don't need to get into grammar. Uh, but uh, that's the spinoff show. And like offsides, it really offsides really should be offside. Now that one, I agree, that doesn't make any sense because two s's doesn't really, it's not going to work. But I think that's uh, they got it grammatically correct over there. But it's like they invented either way. The don't say don't say the Spurs. Yeah, it sounds weird. Um, anyway, if you're trying to figure, don't out, say Man U either, for that matter. Yeah, no, that's one. I personally, I always can tell if people are like, "Oh, yeah, I really like Man U." I'm like, mm. yeah, no Man United fan is calling it Man U. Anyway, back to Tottenham. So, if you're trying to figure out where this weirdly named team is from, uh, they're actually going to be from North London. And interestingly enough, they have some very bitter rivals who also claim they're they're also from North London. Not actually the case. 
So if anybody really talks about how Arsenal or, you know, a North London team, technically they were Woolwich and they were not from the North of London. And they kind of came in there and started trying to uh, assert their place. Uh, it's kind of a long story. It's not great. They kind of, Arsenal cheated their way into the, the top league at the time. But from what I remember, they basically, they both were in like the second tier and, and Tottenham got promoted or something like that. But then Arsenal somehow had like the, this is like in the 1920s or something. And they had like, the owners were part of the top, was friends with all the guys in the top league. So they just went up instead of Tottenham or something crazy like that. And thus a huge rivalry is born. So that is known as the North London Derby between uh, Spurs and Arsenal. Uh, just for you all to know, Spurs' barest rival is going to be Arsenal, which is a little bit tough because, you know, Arsenal are definitely the more successful team. You know, over the last decade, it's actually swung the other way with Spurs have kind of actually finished above Arsenal pretty consistently minus last year. And so they have a little bit of... But no no real trophies heading to North London in the last 15 years, really. You know, they could say they hate each other, but at the end of the day, they deserve each other. You know, there's a bottling factory out there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's their big rival. And then I'd probably say uh, Chelsea are going to be their second. So Chelsea's from uh, the west of London and Spurs are from the north of London. And then finally, I'd say the third rivalry would be West Ham. I think West Ham, it's kind of a more of a one-way rivalry. You know? Like Obviously, Spurs don't love West Ham. But I think uh, West Ham think of Spurs as their biggest rivals, and it's kind of not exactly reciprocated. Uh, and so you'll see that a lot of times between teams. You know, Sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I don't really care about what you think our rivalry is. And you know, the other person's like, oh, man, this is the most important game of our season. You're like, well, okay, that's okay. But hey, what can I say? West Ham has won a trophy. Spurs have not. But anyway, so their old stadium was going to be, you know, White Hart Lane, which is a very cool historic stadium. Um, and then over in about 2016, 2017, they actually went through a huge renovation project. And we kind of talked about this on some of the podcasts before, um, how it's really tough for teams that don't have endless finances to kind of go through a renovation and to fund a stadium. So they did it during 2016, 2017. Spurs, weirdly enough, started playing in Wembley, kind of as their placeholder stadium while the new uh, stadium was being built on the old ground. And that was a pretty terrible experience. Uh, I actually went to a game when I was over in Europe. And it's it, think of Wembley as this like 80,000 person stadiums, this massive, which where the English national team kind of plays out of. But it just kind of has no personality. Um, it's not your home. It kind of just echoes and it's hard to really get a chant or get you know a really strong feeling there so it was a couple hard years there but now they have what's called the tottenham hotspur stadium you know uh, pending stadium rates i don't know how long you can say pending for it's been about like four or five years now but if you're a fan of the nfl you'll probably recognize that name so a lot of where the nfl london games are played are now played at the tottenham hotspur stadium it's this really really expensive but really really awesome looking stadium i think it cost over a billion pounds but it has some really cool features, you know, including a retractable field. So with, there's an NFL game. It actually has two like levels of the turf, and so it'll it's on these like giant like I think I'm not sure if it's rollers or if they go up and down on an elevator system. For all intents and purposes, it's two fields that can be played. So you could play a football game in the American sense on one weekend and destroy the turf. And then on the next weekend, you can have this pristine grass and be able to play a Premier League game. So they kind of went into that uh, as when they were building the stadium, they kind of wanted to have it as a kind of, I wouldn't say, a, uh, yeah, I would, a dual purpose kind of stadium where it's able to host concerts. Uh, they do boxing fights there. 
they kind of went into it not just looking at it as a soccer stadium, but also as a venue. And I think that kind of sums up the current leadership at Spurs, right? I think they treat it, so it's owned by Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis, who own this, you know, they are the managing partners of this, like, finance firm, ENIC or ENIC. Um, and they kind of view Spurs, I think, more as business than they really do as a soccer team. If you look at their... I think... If you look at some other teams, I think their model is Manchester City. And I think if you look at the Tottenhamometers, their model is uh, Manchester United. Yeah. You know, we get the most money. We turn this into a commercial giant and, we, you know, the football is kind of second. Yeah, and then you'll really see it with some of the you know, transfers that they've made over the, you know, the last decade or so. It's A lot of times it needs to be money in before money out, and they ridiculously went 18 months without signing any players, which I think was the first time in Prem history, they just didn't sign anybody for 18 months, which was absolutely insane. And that was a squad that was very good and that was calling out for some new signings. So um, I think that hurt them a little bit, but that's what goes into when you're building a new stadium. You know, you might not have all the funding if you have an owner that is kind of trying to view this more as a business venture than um, a strictly a soccer team. And uh, that's why a lot of times you'll see with the fans, you'll hear people saying, you know, Levy out or Enoch out. And that's kind of, it's not quite at the level of Manchester United where it's like the Glazers are really siphoning off money left and right. Uh, but some folks have kind of got a little bit fed up with how the spending and how they've kind of viewed the club. But hey, I think winning a few games and, you know, turning it around, um, a lot of those chants will kind of go away. And I, I really don't think a lot of Spurs fans can be upset with Levy over the last, you know, so he took over, they took over in 2001. I mean, the last 20 years, they've really turned Spurs from a mid-table team that wins the occasional cup to a top four team that doesn't win anything. So that's kind of where they've gone. They've really built them as one of the biggest clubs in the world commercially. So I, I think I'm okay personally with Levy. Uh, hopefully they will now that the stadium's kind of paid off, they'll put some more funding into it themselves. He'll be glad to hear that you're okay with him. I, I will. Uh, I, I look forward to the day that the New England Patriots versus the Tottenham Hotspur football team, uh, and then you can say the Spurs because it'll be uh, they'll be playing American football then, or like the London Monarchs or something <laughs> stupid like that. Coming out of Tottenham, maybe at that time they'll figure out a naming uh, rights for the stadium. But I wouldn't hold your breath. But I think no story or team is really set until we kind of give you a little bit of the origins of kind of where Spurs came from. So Spurs were an old team, you know, founded in 1882, which is another crazy thing that you'll have to kind of remember with a lot of these teams in Europe is they are so, so old, you know, older than some countries. Uh, it's pretty wild just to think how far back their lineage goes. But we're going to kind of keep it a little bit more recent than that. We're probably going to start in about in the late 50s, early 60s. So the 60s were the pinnacle, the height of Tottenham. Um, a, ma a manager named Bill Nicholson, so he was a player at the time, uh, and then he took over as the manager in 58. And he's one of the main reasons and why Spurs were so successful in the 60s and probably have kind of propelled them into that next level. A lot of times he's called Mr. Tottenham, and a lot of fans will say, you know, the club that Bill made or the club that Bill Nicholson made just to show, like, he is the legend. He is the guy who kind of changed the trajectory of Spurs for the positive. 
And I think he has a great quote that kind of sums up, or at least gets you thinking on his philosophy and kind of the philosophy that I think is still kind of at Spurs. And it's uh, it's better to fail aiming high than to succeed aiming low. And we have Spurs have set our sights very high, so high in fact, that even in failure, we will have an echo and glory. And I think it's a, it's a good kind of look on what Spurs are trying to do. You know, it's a club that is always trying to compete for the biggest and brightest competitions. It's not going to settle for, for any kind of uh, consolation prizes. They're always going to try to do their, do the best thing, the biggest thing they can. And, you know, even if you don't quite make it, which does happen from time to time, uh, you'll still be in a good conversation, but you'll hear a lot of times fans nowadays kind of say Spurs have not really won anything. And that's just like not the case. I think it's a very short sighted kind of view of it. Of course, not in the Premier League era, but back in the past. So in the sixties, like I was saying, um, Spurs actually did the double, which is winning the league in the FA cup in 61. And a lot of that has to do with a player named Jimmy Greaves. So Jimmy Greaves is the top scorer in all of English top flight. So I think he scored 357 or something like that uh, goals. So you always hear all the time uh, with Harry Kane was chasing Alan Shearer's record in the Premier League. And the Premier League started in 92. So, you know, even if Kane you know, got that record, there's already a Spurs legend that has scored the most goals uh, in top English flight. It was just called something else. Yeah, it's really annoying how they say like Premier League record and whatever as if there wasn't another 100 years of soccer before it it's like if the nfl i mean the nfl kind of did it uh with you know the super bowl era but i mean it's not even the same game but it's like if the nfl was like i don't know starting in like 1990 since troy aikman's been here xxx like this is what's happened like it doesn't make any sense and it's just the premier league trying to it makes it easier to achieve records, and so the Premier League does it. So it's easier to say Harry Kane is chasing the all-time goal-scoring record. You know, I've never really thought of it as kind of like a marketing or branding kind of way, but yeah, that makes total sense. It's exciting, right? You're like, oh man, do you think he's going to do it? Do you think he's going to do it? Or they've scored the most points for the year? Yeah, that's interesting and a little bit unfair to the guys who kind of came from before. During this time frame, Spurs were the first actually British team to win a European trophy in 62-63 season with the Cup Winners' Cup. So this was a competition that was, back in the day, the domestic cups like the FA Cup or, you know, whatever countries, you know, cup competition there was, these were a lot more prestigious. And so the UEFA, the uh, European organization, actually had an entire tournament just for teams that had won their own domestic cup. And so Spurs won theirs and ended up getting you know, the first British team with a European trophy, which is a pretty cool thing um, to remember. And in this period, yeah, I think they ended up with about eight uh, major trophies, which is you know, pretty good for a uh, decade of football, especially in times where there were fewer competitions and fewer trophies to kind of win. But with all good periods, uh, they kind of have to come to an end. And so in 74, Bill Nicholson, you know, after putting his heart and soul into being a player and as a manager, uh, he kind of reached his limit. He kind of fell out of love with the game. He kind of got himself to a point where he had nothing more to give. And so Spurs kind of fell off their kind of pedestal of being the London club or the English club in the 60s. And also just a note here, and not just this time, but you know, a little bit earlier in the 1900s. So there's a lot of Jewish uh, folks that were living in North London and East London at the time. So specifically in the 1930s, I think it was about a third of all Spurs fans were actually Jewish. 
And so they, they kind of got associated with being a, a Jewish fan base club and, you know, with success and with, you know, different ethnic groups, obviously comes some, you know, different sorts of racism and rival fans started using some anti-Semitic slurs uh, such as Yid or Yiddo against Spurs uh, just as a team. And it's really cool that in the 70s, Spurs fans actually kind of turned this word around and started to use it as a badge of honor or a term of endearment for supporters of the clubs. So if you start watching Spurs and you hear fans chanting Yid or Yiddo, Yiddo or Yid Army, uh, it's actually not being used as a slur it's Spurs fans kind of uniting with the fan base across uh, to say like, nope, we're going to take the power away from the slur and kind of wear it as a badge of honor. Um, and nowadays, the, I think there's a little bit less of a Jewish following just because, you know, as the the world grows, as things mix, you know, there's probably, I think some of the stats I see, it's like maybe like 5% of the fan base is still Jewish. You know, neighborhoods aren't as you know separated out as they used to be. And so there's been some pushback here and there uh, for people to say like, hey, should we or should we not be using, you know, Yid uh, for the team? I think overall the sentiment is it's still okay, but it's just uh, still a little point of contention, especially in the UK where, you know, racism is actually against the law. But that takes us into the 70s and another interesting period for Spurs. So they had kind of had a dip and a fall off after uh, Bill Nicholson kind of leaves the club, but what they did do, which was really out of character for the time, is bring in two Argentinians in 78, which is Ozzy Ardellis and Ricardo Villa. So this is a really strange thing because during this time, obviously the world was quote-unquote a little bit smaller. You know, there's a little bit uh, less fluctuation of people going around the world, but players from outside the British Isles were pretty rare and is even more rare having two players come from South America. It ended up working out for Spurs because they kind of got out of their slump and ended up winning some silverware. So they got a pair of FA Cups, which is great, and also a UEFA Cup, which is now the Europa League. But also a really interesting piece of this is that during this time frame, you know, if you're kind of aware of the Falklands War, and the Falklands War are between uh, the UK and Argentina. So these are like little tiny islands, I think off like the Southeast coast of Argentina. And they're still kind of run by the British, I think just a byproduct of colonization, but still part of uh, the UK. And so there was a war in 1982 where Argentina basically tried to invade it and take it back for themselves, which was a pretty wild time because Ozzy Ardellis and Ricardo Villa are these two Argentinians in a time where it was very rare. They didn't have a lot of support, uh, you know, like the support systems that we probably have nowadays. We are just trying to make sure that you're really committed to this podcast by just throwing in history stuff that we definitely know you'll be interested in, uh, just to make sure that you're, uh, we got to give you every excruciating detail. So I love it. Uh, I will, I promise I'll wrap this up and we'll get to the Premier League era very quickly. But there is a great ESPN 30 for 30 called White, Blue, and White, which really just talks about uh, the two struggles for these two players where they're basically working in a country that was at war with their homelands. So it was pretty, it's a, I, I can't imagine kind of what they were going through. And Ozzy actually ended up not coming back to Spurs for uh, a little bit of the 82 season. And I think he went on loan to like PSG because you know, it was just so hard to get from a country that is at war with you back to, you know, the country that is all the other side of that war. So uh, pretty interesting kind of case. But anyway. And this isn't like just a modern type of, you know, 
small conflict where a couple people are shooting. These are like serious uh, sinking ships, you know, missiles, bombs, you know, really crazy stuff um, if you've never heard of it. Yeah, Ozzy's cousin, I think, was actually a fighter pilot and was like shot down by a British fighter pilot, which is a interesting, you know, very interesting connection to say the least, which then takes us into the Premier League era. And I wish I could say that this is the era where Spurs have gone back to their former glory in the 60s, but that's not the case. And just to make things even worse, Spurs' biggest rivals, Arsenal, have been thriving, especially in the beginning of the Premier League era. So again, the Premier League starts in 92, and since then, Spurs have kind of won the occasional cup here and there in the 90s and 2000s, but they were finishing pretty comfortably mid-table throughout this time. I already kind of talked in 2001 where it changed their ownership by Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy. And no, not the Daniel Levy from Schitt's Creek, uh, a different Daniel Levy. And so they slowly started turning things around, which takes us into the 2010s era, which really started to change for Spurs in a positive direction. Uh, They ended up with some really exciting and truly world-class players with, you know, Dimitar Berbatov, obviously a very, very good player that got uh, sold to United, but two players that are absolutely some of the best of this decade. It's going to be Gareth Bale and Luka Modric. Both of them kind of took their careers to the next level before they went over to Real Madrid uh, while playing for Spurs. So it was an interesting time where Spurs were starting to kind of not just be in mid-table, but also creep their way in and out of the Champions League from year to year. Yeah, and when I was watching this, uh, you know, Premier League back in, you know, early 2000s, mid-2000s, there's a bunch of teams that are kind of right below United, Arsenal, and then, you know, Chelsea pretty, in Liverpool and Chelsea after that. And it's this group of Aston Villa, Everton, Tottenham um, are the ones that come to mind. Um, even th- teams like West Ham you could throw in there. And as this kind of like second grouping and Tottenham is the only one that was able to take the jump and kind of move up into that next tier. That's a great point. That's why I kind of, when I hear folks saying, you know, leave you out and stuff like that, uh, I like to kind of use that as a good perspective into saying, Hey, they have a world-class stadium. They've had some world-class players and they've played in some really exciting positions. And I think what really kind of changed is when they sold bail. Uh, so they sold bail at the start of the 13-14 season for, I think at the time, it was like a record amount to Real Madrid. And uh, they really brought in, was it the Magnificent Nine, I think? They brought in nine players with that money. And I think maybe one to two of them, Christian Eriksen and maybe half of Eric Lamella, uh, ended up being good players, good signing. So, uh, and your boy Nasser Chadley, man. Nasser Chadley, that's and right. But you connect with that Belgium guy. That's right. If you're... Uh, and a close listener, an avid listener of this podcast, you will remember that story. Uh, but really when Spurs took the jump to that even next level is going to be in 2014. And that's when they signed, got Mauricio Pochettino to be their manager from Southampton. And so you probably know this name uh, as the current manager of Chelsea, at least for now. But he kind of propelled them into playing this exciting uh, form of footy kind of got them to claim their new position in that quote-unquote big six and 
unfortunately, they were not able to really win any silverware. But they were able to kind of finish ahead of their rivals, consistently play in the Champions League. And it was a really exciting time for Spurs fans. And this is kind of where the, the emergence of players like Harry Kane, Youngman Son, Deli Alley, uh, Christian Eriksen, you know, obviously Lloris was signed a little bit earlier, but Hugo Lloris, they had some like actual world-class players. And it was a really, really, really good team that definitely should have won some silverware. Uh, but unfortunately, all they can console themselves is with the consolation prizes, finishing second in the league, and then losing a terrible, terrible Champions League final to Liverpool. But that kind of brings them out of that kind of era in from that 14 to 2019 where Poch is there and he's doing some great things and all things are bright and rosy. And then kind of after they lost that Champions League final, it kind of shattered them. And they kind of went on an identity crisis. And they brought in Jose Mourinho. And I think we've talked about him pretty consistently on here. And I think the big thing is they had a lot of really good players. They thought they had a really... Great friend of the pod. Yeah, and loves it. Yeah. Um, so he probably loves us. I think he probably views us as a sports team, right? He loves us, but knows that we won't love him. That's kind of how I view that. So. Mm -hmm. Well, so when you take a team like, uh, and you take a team like Tottenham and you put Jose Mourinho, who was coming off a kind of, he, he had some success at United, won Europa League, won the League Cup, got them into the, uh, I think they finished second one year. Um, their most, their, with their most points since Fergie. He's this legendary manager, obviously a kind of, prickly guy who has a lot of baggage with him and you and when he didn't work out they bring in Antonio Conte who has always had a reputation of being extremely difficult to work with but has always been able to deliver so these guys are kind of when you when you look at managers there's different guys that are tactically very gifted there's guys that work well with young players there's guys that are good man managers but when you think of Conte and Mourinho they do it in slightly different ways but I think if you had an archetype for them, they're the kind of winners. They do whatever they do, whatever it takes to kind of win and uh, for better or for worse. So why, why do you think it kind of Tottenham maybe wasn't the right fit for them? I think these are two managers that are used to kind of having their way and having unlimited resources. And just like we already talked about, they Spurs don't kind of run like a quote unquote other big six teams. They don't have unlimited funds. They don't will not let you, you know, spend whatever you want to revamp your team so you can play in the style that you like. And I think that kind of probably built some animosity between these managers and Daniel Levy, who is a notoriously hard uh, person to work with or to sell players to or buy players from. So I, I just think they were trying so hard to just bring in a serial winner because they wanted to, you know, get away this stigma of not winning anything from 2008 with such a strong squad. And they kind of, it's like, it, to me, it seems like someone who brings in a consulting firm, right? Oh, they have a great reputation. Uh, these guys and gals are going to be the people who exactly who I need to increase my profits. But like, you know, when they get there, it's like, Hey, you actually don't understand my business or you don't understand my company or you don't understand my team. And so I think it was a little bit of a miss there. And unfortunately for Spurs fans, it was a pretty dark, you know, four or so years between Jose. Uh, you can't forget the ridiculous signing of Nuno Espirito Santos for four months, which was just an insane move. Uh, he used to be a Wolves manager. I, I, the dude had no idea what he was doing there. And then Antonio Conte. But just to jump back, I think, I think, because I think the era of Mourinho and Conte speaks to 
why Tottenham is different than kind of the other teams that we talk about in the big six, because I think their own mentality to me, I think has always been summed up best as kind of like the little brother. They're the ones that are kind of like tagging along to join up with the big six. And what I think that, and because they haven't won a ton in the, in the recent past, it makes it, it makes their mentality, their expectation and kind of the fan base is, it almost felt to me like Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte thought that they were they were bigger than the club, um, which is they they probably often think that they're bigger than the club than uh, you know than a team like Manchester United, but they kind of they aren't really, and you know the fans don't believe that. But I think in some ways, I think that was always just a a match not, that was never going to work. I don't know. What do you think? Very well summed up there. It just felt wrong. Yeah, it just felt wrong from the get-go. And, yeah, if, if you just took away their previous accolades, you'd just be like, I, both of these guys, like, I, I feel no connection with them. They don't understand the fan base. They don't connect with the fans. They're just not good fits for, for Spurs. And it was just such a stark contrast to the lovable man-manager of Pochettino. Yeah, and I think Tottenham has a kind of a legacy and I think this is something that, that can be really important for clubs as a attacking philosophy a kind of excitement is paramount to our club which I think fits in with uh, what you were saying with their motto um, that they've had going back decades um, you know to dare is to do which I'll let you talk about more but Tottenham I think has always wanted that attack um, that excitement that enjoyment that we're doing this to enjoy ourselves to go see our team try to dominate teams score goals and that is just not what Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho bring you know often those kind of winner archetype managers are teams that are guys that just want to win ugly um, defend really well and just kind of nick a goal here and there which is kind of the antithesis to what Spurs fans have always expected and I think you go through these eras where you know you'll play like a certain way with a certain manager like Pochettino is an attacking manager played with like with you know flair a technical players um you know his kind of Argentinian uh style um where but it wasn't quote-unquote successful um and so the fans are now accepting for a year or two these kind of other types of managers but when I think you see that that those styles don't necessarily they you know it, it's not it's not always the prince that was promised the grass isn't always greener on the other side when uh you have a team that's not successful and that the watching that them play soccer every week sucks um and bores you to death you'd rather lose but lose four three rather than one nothing in this a lot of so i think spurs and united have kind of gone through these swings with different types of styles of manager both of them having suffered through Jose Mourinho in some way, but uh, going up and down with these uh, styles and bringing, I think, Tottenham to kind of where they've gotten to today. It's really fitting right now with how Spurs have kind of are trying to reinvent themselves, I think, completely. And I, that was beautifully said uh, with what you're saying is you, you have to come back to kind of who you are and have the manager and the team kind of fit the club DNA and fit the personality. And I think it's just really fitting with Harry Kane, you know, being sold to Bayern Munich. Uh, it's kind of a clean slate. It's kind of a new era for Spurs. 
I mean, if you look at the team, you know, all the players that are there, I think the only player that is still like actively playing, and I, I say this with, you know, Hugo Lloris is more or less allowed to leave whenever he wants. He has to kind of find a project that he, you know, fits for him. But I think Xiongun Sun is the only player left on the team that was part of that Champions League uh, final. So this is a good time. This is a good place for Spurs to kind of take a step back, start this rebuild, get back to who they are, get back to connecting with the fans, and hopefully getting back to playing some exciting uh, football, which is a, probably the best hire that they could have done is going to be Ange Postacoglu. And it's early in the season, but they look so exciting and are so fun to watch. Uh, so Ange is uh, he's a lovable Australian. You know, he ri- reminds me a lot. If you're going to be, uh, if you're going to, Follow uh, Spurs. You're gonna have to make sure you don't say the Spurs, and you're gonna have to figure out how to say Pasta Coglu. Those are the those are the two missions. Yeah, difficult. So we get it. If if we've already lost you here, you can go ahead and turn off the podcast. Please don't. We desperately, desperately need your listenership. Ange has come from Celtic, uh, so he did really well with Celtic. Over the last two or three years, he basically won a domestic treble, which is going to be uh, the Scottish League. Uh, and their two domestic cups. Uh, he had Australia, he was the manager of the Australian national team, and had them win their first you know, Asian Cup, which I think their Asian tournament, which is incredible and something that a lot of fans probably never would have thought would be possible. So it's really exciting that they have this, this manager who is a very lovely guy to work with. Players love to play for him. Uh, go watch any of his press conferences. He's just, just you know, he he tells it how it is, but he's very warm and likable in all of his press conferences. It's just such a stark contrast to uh, some of the managers that have been here the last few years. And just like you said, Spurs are going to bring it back to playing to win no matter what. And what I say by that, they are going to try to outscore teams. They're not going to sit back and try to play this counterattacking, you know, let's get one or two opportunities this entire game and hope they go in and, you know, score a goal and kind of sit back and hope you can kind of play against the clock rather than the opposition. They're going to go out there and they're going to tell teams that I'm going to score more points than you. I don't care how many goals you score. We're confident that the way we play is going to allow us to score more goals. So what I think you're going to see this year is really, really exciting games. You know, big games that are won by a lot and probably a few games that are lost by a lot. But what I can promise you is that it's going to be incredibly exciting to watch, especially compared to uh, what we've been watching with Spurs the last few years. And so there's a little bit of a difference in how they're playing now. Uh, so Spurs are now gonna be, are playing, so the first few games are playing with a really high defensive line. So what they're trying to do is always, always, always win back possession immediately. So if they lose the ball, you'll, you'll see it very quickly. They're trying to overload players. They're always trying to press, 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 and win the ball back. You know, I think this is very similar to kind of like how United try to play too, is they want the ball and they want to score uh, as high as possible, get the ball as high as possible up the field to create those opportunities. Well, I think I think the thing about Tottenham is they're much more willing than I think most managers, including United, Ten Hag, who always want to kind of have stability in the back. I think... In some way, he's kind of like Guardiola, where they think attack is the best version of defense. And, uh, you know, they are going to leave their defenders. Van der Ven, uh, good luck to you, buddy. 
um, you're fast, you're a fast boy, but uh, they're going to be leaving you one on one with wingers uh, all season. So I, I think that is really difficult to sustain. It's not tends, it doesn't tend to be a type of style that worked great in Europe, but I think in in the league it could be something that uh, works. And obviously you can tinker with things, and you don't always have to be so dogmatic, but. Um, I think it's a really fun team to always watch. And, you know, if you listen to like Bill Simmons and or any of these guys that talk about uh, league pass teams, like like if you had NBA league pass or if you had uh, red zone or whatever on uh, for the NFL, like those are the teams that you want popping up because they're the fun teams to watch. You know, those are going to be high scoring games. It's exciting how much they're actually coming into the modern era of you know, inverting fullbacks, getting those fullbacks to pinch in and get involved in the attacks rather than just hanging out on the outside and just like you said it's going to leave their two center backs with you know van de van and romero kind of sitting back there uh, by themselves a lot and also just showcases how important a six or that kind of holding midfielder is and right now it seems like basuma is an incredible incredible signing i mean antonio conte should be in jail for not having uh, basuma play last year the first four games he has looked absolutely incredible and is the perfect player to be able to shield that this back line uh for you know, kind of sniff out and cut out uh counter so really excited to kind of see it there uh but even more so they signed a new english midfielder that we've kind of talked about here on some of the other shows and james madison he has impressed me so 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 much fitting into that system incredibly well and incredibly quickly the spurs kind of like to play similarly with two eights but the interesting thing that they like to do is have those two eights at times get past the strikers so the striker will kind of do some hold up play and allow uh, those two eights to kind of sneak in and find those channels and get in and it's only doable because they have players like young and son on the left and some then kulisevsky who's going to be you know one of their uh, attacking wingers on the right and those two players kind of hold the width pretty well and kind of stretch the opponent's back four and that kind of opens up passing lanes and little lanes uh for two players to kind of sneak in behind and james madison is falling in love and loving that space creating chances scoring chances and he has been so exciting to watch now it'll be interesting to see if Richarlison, who is again brazil's number nine we've talked about before on the show to see if he can kind of get it going uh, right now, it seems like he's in a little bit of a gold drought, but still confident that he might be able to turn it around. They've spent some more money. So just take us through a take us through a you know a sample starting eleven for them. It's a good way to kind of bring it back, and I think we've kind of touched on the back line. So they have a new keeper this year, Ficario. So they bought him from the Italian league, like a lot of English teams do. Uh, he is. I think they tried to buy him to be a little bit more of a ball-playing keeper, but so far, he's just seemed like marginally. He doesn't seem like he has much of the ball-playing part. I don't think they scaled no. the right guy for that. I, 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 I agree. Yeah, he's been like marginally better than Lloris, who is shockingly bad with his feet. Uh, but he's actually very similar to Lloris, where he is just incredibly good at reaction saves. So he kind of makes up his money that way. It'll be interesting to see if that kind of keeper still fits into the modern era, but at least the first few games. What it is interesting, though, is that going from bad to average is oftentimes the biggest upgrade. Um, and if you look at look, Yoris and De Gea were definitely both of the same mold where they're just shot stoppers and awful with their feet, both of them. 
So I think, uh, you know, just going from bad to average is sometimes all that you really need to really make a team a lot better. And they're going to need this year. I mean, if you'll see them playing out of the back, and if you're a boomer soccer fan, you'll just be really upset with that because you just want the keeper to lump that ball up to the midfield no matter what the scenario is. But Spurs are playing out of the back, and it's actually pretty scary at times, but it works, obviously. So the two center backs right now that are starting are going to be Christian Romero, who kind of goes by the nickname Cootie. So he is Argentinian. He is... I personally think he's one of the best defenders in the league. He is the type of player that you love to have on your team. This dude is a nut job. He is a nut job. He loves he loves nothing more than getting into tackles and doing them, you know, as quote unquote cleanly as possible, but getting away with whatever he can. So he just clatters players. He is ultra aggressive all the time, which I think fits Angie's style pretty well. He is kind of uh, stuffing out and cutting out counterattacks high up on the line. And his partner in crime is going to be Mickey Vandeven, uh, who's a pretty young Dutch player the Spurs just bought. He's actually very tall and maybe even taller. Maybe he's 6'4", but um, he's I didn't really know a lot about him beforehand. Uh, there's four a center back all offseason, and a couple of the people they were looking for kind of fell through, and it seemed like Vandeven was kind of their second choice. But he's kind of slotted in and kind of been that great partner for Romero where he is able to kind of be a little bit more uh, conservative. He is sitting a little bit deeper than Romero and he kind of holds the back line together when Romero is there to kind of smash and be a destroyer and cut out those counterattacks. No, but yeah, Romero is literally just looking for like to be yellow carded every game and just kind of be just under the line for a red card. He's the type of guy that nobody wants to play against because you're going to leave that game sore. You love to have him on your team. Yeah, you absolutely hate to, to see him on the other side of the pitch. And so on the, on the right uh, is going to be kind of right now, it's not really positive who's going to be the starter right now. I think Emerson Royale, who's Brazilian, who's had a little bit of a, a rough time with Spurs. So I think Spurs originally bought him uh, prior to Conte getting there, I want to say, and he didn't really fit into the Conte wingback role. And so this is like one of the dangers of changing managers so often, which does happen very often in the Premier League. You're basically stuck with uh, last manager's kind of purchases. And so if they don't fit your style, it kind of be it gets a little bit tough and it's a little bit unfair to hold against you because now you have basically the style that the old manager wanted and you know your style is completely different. So you're trying to... Which is why it's critical that you don't do transfer window like Manchester United who just signs a manager of the complete opposite type and try, spends $300 million on his players and then drops the manager two years later. Yeah, you get into this vicious cycle where you're basically playing with someone else's toys always, and then you're getting punished for, you know, not playing with their toys the right way. And then the manager always has this excuse, well, you didn't buy any, all these players, you didn't buy them for me, so, and then you get into, and then you, yeah, it becomes this whole civil war between the fan base. But anyway, who's their left back? Oh, their right back is going to be Emerson Royale. Um, so he, him and Pedro Porro are kind of splitting time this time. I think they're kind of doing a battle to see who are good? Who's going to be uh, that kind of that starting role? On the left back, they have Desti Udoji, who's this young Italian who has looked so so good uh, in the first few games. He's been bombing forward. I um, mean, getting involved in a kind of inverted wing back role. So very excited to kind of see where he, he plays. And in the midfield three, uh, right now it is primarily going to be Basuma, James Madison. I think. Pep Sar is probably solidifying himself. He's very, uh, very young. I think he's Senegalese. 
Uh, he, I think he's like 20, maybe 21, but he's looked very, very strong uh, in that midfield. And that midfield three has probably been the highlight for Spurs, I think, this year. All three of them have you know, kind of connected instantly and have revamped an area of the field that Spurs have not been too great. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Rodrigo Banticor. He's been injury all year, but last year I think was Spurs' best player outside of Harry Kane. So excited to have him back eventually. And on the left, you have Hyungmin's son, really doesn't need anything need to be said about him probably the best asian footballer of all time you know won a golden boot two years ago had a little bit of a rough season last year but i think is healthy and back better than ever on the right you have a swede in dylan uh dylan kulisevsky who is an exciting i guess he's a juventus product and he's pretty exciting that he loves taking players on and going at the byline so he's fun to watch and does a pretty good job of getting crosses in. And finally, you have, I guess, Richarlison right now. They just bought a new striker from Forrest, Brennan Johnson, who's Welsh. So we'll see uh, kind of what that ends up being and who ends up being that starting striker in that number nine position. It's big shoes to feel fill with Harry Kane being gone, but we'll see kind of how it shakes out. And I think that's a pretty good look at what you can typically see from Spurs as a starting 11. All right, so it's time for the famous hope to heartbreak scale you know this is uh this is one that you'll feel personally so uh where do you think uh tottenham falls on this and again it's uh from uh do we do zero to five or one to five i don't know one of those with halves of course we know that we now know that there are halves in the scale so i think the heartbreak here is gonna be i want to say three and a half feels about right in my notes i had four but i think three and a half probably feels right spurred to this team at least recently that it's so close to the finish line and you think this is the year that they're going to do it you think they are uh, finally have figured it out and they get right there at the finish line and it seems like they always kind of fall short um, i'm really glad that they kind of have a new team and so hopefully they can build some new mentality some of the players can kind of get rid of that mentality or whatever that mental hurdle was and hopefully they can start putting things together i will say it's probably a little bit too early with this you know new team basically with a new manager to really see them uh going out and winning things immediately but on the up and up so i'd say a, a three and a half is probably about right now what do you think yourself i'm going three on the heartbreak three on the hope um because i think to be a tottenham fan uh comes with a certain understanding of who tottenham is i want i'm going to get on a soapbox and talk about a little bit about how unfair all of this is there's this famous quote from Roy Keane, who is Manchester United's captain. Um, and Fergie... Oh, you'll see it on Reddit threads. All everywhere. the time. Yeah, it's like the most common thing that uh, if Tottenham has like something bad happen, something very Spursy, something very classic Tottenham, you know, they're not... They're a, success, they're a, they're a big six team, right? But like in some ways, they're kind of like the Detroit Lions or like the Cleveland Browns of the big six. I mean, they're still a very good team, very successful, but there's always this expectation in the back of your mind that something bad is going to happen. And so... Uh, there's this story from Roy Keane and, you know, Fergie is, Alex Ferguson is always known to give these like really impassioned team talks and just kind of give all, do, give his hairdresser where he tries to, you know, he screams at the team and tries to get him to rise to the occasion. And the United was playing Tottenham once and Tottenham's a decent team then, but, uh, Roy Keane is basically like waiting for Fergie to give it, just kind of thinking to himself, you know, like, you don't really need to like give us a a big speech about to play Tottenham like you know Tottenham they're nice they play the ball around the park but uh at the end of the day we're just gonna go smash them um and they're gonna crumble 
Um, and then Fergie just walks in and instead of saying his whole thing speech, he just says, well, lads, it's Tottenham. And he walks out, you know, and he goes on to smash Tottenham and win the game. So, uh, you know, I think there's always that in the back of your mind. So I think the heartbreak is kind of baked in. It's a, it's almost like you bought some up front. You know, it was in the ingredient list when you started supporting Tottenham, and this is your warning here. Uh, so I think to have it truly be a five, you have to be kind of like United, where you're an idiot and expect to win things every year. So I, uh, I think Tottenham's heartbreak is three just because there will be a lot of it, but I think some of it's going to be expected. But I think the hope is three, two. I think this is a team that... Um, you know, with the current ownership, will they ever quite spend the money of the the big, big boys? Probably not. Uh, but you are hoping that you can kind of catch lightning in a bottle with uh, someone like Pochettino again. Um, and Ange might be that guy. Kind of a risk reward. I mean, Spurs are doing a good job at least keeping themselves in this level set position, right? Where they have the finances. They're not ever going to fall apart, you know, and what you see with like a team like Everton right now, since they are kind of spending, you know, within their means, they are and you know building that kind of empire building that reputation that commercial revenue uh kind of allows them and makes sure that they are you know never maybe never going to be the best team in england consistently but also not going to fall apart uh in a situation that you see that's going on with everton so yeah i agree i think hope is three is right on the money there and then the last thing i just want to get on my soapbox here because what's the point of having a podcast if you can't do that but how how many soapboxes do we have stacked up for you right now? Is this mm. three, four? You got some good balance up there. This one, this one isn't the. This isn't the peak. This isn't the soap mountain. This is just a soap <laughs> oh, box. There's more. Yeah, there's yeah, more this boxes. This is a soap box. Uh, soap just a small little dove here. one. This isn't. You know, there's bigger okay. bottles of soap okay. out there. All right, that's, uh, that's but this one not a sponsor. Yeah, I feel like soap box doesn't work with uh with dove anymore. But dove, we are looking. We are looking. What really makes me angry is how often you hear this discourse about how Tottenham never wins trophies. People say that about a million teams, right? They'll say that about Arsenal. They'll say that about, in some ways, some with United. And United, they spend a ton of money, so it's somewhat justified. But there's all this stuff about how, oh, this team didn't win the trophy. And measuring every single thing in football as if trophies are the only important thing. You'll hear it from pundits who are basically saying, you know, they need a winner's mentality. This guy has won trophies. You know, Arsenal had not Arsenal, who played incredibly well last year, played the best football they've played in probably twenty years. Last year, didn't come away with any trophies, and so many people look at they just make fun of them or think that that's a terrible year. But the joy that Pochettino's Tottenham team or Arsenal last year or teams like Liverpool's team that went all the way to the last day of the Premier League, lost the Champions League final, you know, two years ago went to the FA Cup, lost that too. That doesn't mean that was a bad season. The amount, the memories, the joy, the amount that you kind of got from following the team in those years, this game is more than just winning a damn trophy. Winning the trophy doesn't really mean anything. It's the journey that got you there. The, you know, there are 92 teams in the in the leagues how many of them are going to win trophies in any given year i mean they're adding more trophies by the season but you know like six of them will win trophies and one of them's manchester city and they're going to win the biggest one so that doesn't mean that the experience for all of them is invalid that all of them are just waiting another year so that they can not win another trophy again next year the, the act of being a fan of a team is so much greater than just being defined but what trophies you win at the end of the year and 
you know, it's about, it's about so much more. And so I, I hate that kind of reductive reasoning. And, you know, this is, this is what you get for reading social media and, and Reddit and Twitter and Instagram comments and listening to idiot pundits and stuff like that. But the fact that the discourse comes down to just that is just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just not what the game is about. And so even though I'm a fan of United and, you know, it's easy for me to say, I don't think that going out and picking the team that's just going to win the trophy every year is going to give you the fulfillment that you get for following the team, right? Like you can go 20, 30 years with following a team without them winning anything and still find incredible meaning in that. And when they do, if they ever do win the big one, the amount that that will mean to those fans is just, it's next level. You see how much it meant for West Ham to win the, you know, their tiny little Europa Conference League title. A team like United or Chelsea wins that, they're kind of happy for five minutes. Um, Liverpool didn't win the Premier League for 30 years. Um, When they won theirs to, you know, win their 19th title and released 20, you know, 25 years of pent-up emotion, that was so meaningful because they were so they were having such difficulty with it for so long. And if Tottenham ever comes through and wins the Premier League, that will mean more to that uh, Tottenham fan, just like it means it meant more. It'll mean more to the Detroit Lions fan or Cleveland Browns fan to win a Super Bowl than it would to the Patriots to win their fifth. Um, so the journey, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is really what matters. And this game is not about just picking the team that's going to win. Um, you do want a team, I think most of us want a team that's going to be challenging at the top. And so I think it can be hard to follow from America just to follow a team in England that's never going to kind of do anything or is high risk of going down to the Champions League or Championship or League One. Um, and so it's a little hypocritical because we are, you know, most of us in America are going to be following the bigger teams. But at the end of the day, it's not, don't make fun of teams. Uh, for basically not winning trophies. That's that's pretty much what I want to say. No, it's well said, and I think it fits so well with the you know the, the Spurs quote of the game is about glory. And yeah, that's well said. And I couldn't agree with you more. I, I would always I would take a Champions League final versus a you know winning a League Cup any day of the week, just for that you know that experience. Uh, but I think that is kind of reaching us to the end of our time. Is there anything else that you want to say about Spurs? Or do you have any other soapboxes that you can stack up in there? I crushed through this one. Uh, you know, it's broken now. The cardboard couldn't hold me. And, uh, yeah, I talked too long. So that's it. Dove, send us some replacement soapboxes, and uh, we'll make sure we keep you as a sponsor. Um, Thank you so much for spending some time with us, letting me talk about something that I am honestly passionate about. Uh, Spurs are, you know, it's crazy how quickly a team that you kind of like fall in love with becomes such a big part of your life. And yeah, it's great. They're like a really, really, really great team to, to kind of follow. So uh, please reach out to us if you have any comments, if you have any episodes that you kind of would like to talk about. Is there anything you want to talk through? Uh, you can find us on most of the socials on our Instagram at Premier League Proven. Uh, we're on almost all podcast platforms as well on YouTube. So please feel free to reach out to us and we'll definitely reach back. See you, see you, see you. Sorry, Jose.